Hi, this is Kevin Volp. I'm a professor at the University of Pennsylvania, and I'm joined today by Karen DeSalvo. Karen is a professor at the Dell Medical School at UT Austin and has had a very distinguished public health career. So I'm pleased to have Karen join me today, and we're going to talk a bit about Karen and Karen's career and, and thoughts she has about public health. So, Thanks, Karen. Kevin. It's great to be here. Thank you. Karen, you've had many interesting roles in your career, starting with a distinguished academic career at Tulane, service as the Commissioner of Health for the City of New Orleans, being Assistant Secretary of Health at Health and Human Services, the National Health IT Coordinator, and now you're at UT Austin doing interesting work on social determinants of health, technology, and digital health, and you're also a board member at Humana. Uh, lots of things we could talk about, uh, but I'm going to start by asking you, uh, if you can talk a little bit about your career and, and how it's evolved, and are you surprised by the path your career has taken? It's been a, a really wonderful journey, and, and to be honest with you, every role that I've had, I've very much enjoyed, even though in many ways, so many of them have been have been quite different. I wanted to be a doctor since I was um, in junior high, and that is still, you know, one of the most wonderful uh, opportunities that I've had professionally is to be a part of the lives of my patients. I practiced primary care for 25 years and learned a lot from my patients, not just about medicine, but about um, how their lives impact them and sort of the barriers and challenges and ways that we can make the system better. And I, I think that thematically, Kevin, one of the reasons that I have been on this journey of having responsibility in medicine and public health and, and technology is that I, I two things. One, um, I feel inclined when I see things that are broken to fix them. And so I want to get involved in fixes, whether that's been at the um, administration level for in our own clinical practices or in the policy environment in my state or at, at the national level. And, and the second area is that I also really love to build bridges between sectors and systems. And, and so across my career, I, I've had the opportunity to build bridges and, and work between public health and medicine or technology and public health a, a, as examples. And when I was health commissioner, frankly, that was a lot, a lot of what you do is, is bringing various sectors together. So I guess if you had asked me when I was 13 and I said I wanted to be a doctor, did I think my, my, my experiences would have been as as um, enriching and as varied as this, I probably would have never imagined it. And I feel so thankful that I've had the chance to to be engaged in, in all ways that I have. Yeah, no, it's really quite amazing because you, you've been engaged at a high level in lots of very different interesting things. And I'm curious, given that you've had all these experiences in different different arenas, what you see as the health sector's biggest challenges? Yeah. I, th I think our, our challenges are are um, tightly related. I'll start with where I think the, the biggest problem that the country is trying to solve, and that is, of course, that we have created a uh, an approach to health that is very focused on leveraging the healthcare system and all of its very expensive parts, and um, have created an, an incentive structure for that very expensive system that drives it to want to make more and more money 
and not do that on the on the backs of better and better health. That I think the big challenge about the cost is that it's is that the model is so misaligned with with what we need to do as a country of having a healthier population and a healthier workforce, more well-being and, and vitality for people and, and communities. It's a, it's a, so many people describe a sickness model that and that that sickness model is can, is doing really well. It's growing as a part of our economy and building jobs and buildings, uh, but we have to find a way to get off of that track and move towards a business model that that really incentivizes health and find a way that that's just as as um, as helpful to our economy and to and to growth, but also is, is frankly helpful helpful for for well being. And I think in all of that, um, which it's not just that we need better clinical excellence. It's that that's sort of the necessary beginning. But we have to begin to think about the other parts of health that are uh, less attended to, whether that's social needs or the built environment, those things that that are driving 60% of our health outcomes. And that, um, for me, is not just a challenge, but a great opportunity for the country right now to really think about how we build out and professionalize and digitize and integrate the, the social determinants at, as a partner to the, to the healthcare system. Yeah, that, that all makes a lot of sense. One of my least favorite statistics is that the U.S. spends far more than any other country in the world, but we rank something like 26th in life expectancy. And so much of it is, as you said, because we see the production of health through the delivery of more health services. And unfortunately, that hasn't worked out so well for us as a, as a country in terms of the health of our population. And I'm curious, as you think about that, and you think about some of the needs that are out there that aren't met and where there's underinvestment, how do you see us as a country shifting and reallocating resources in ways that might produce bigger returns in terms of improvements in population health? Yeah, you know, the, the idea that the sicker people are, the better the health system does sounds so awful when you describe it that way, because I know certainly most Doctors and health professionals and health system leaders get up every day wanting to improve health, but that that the challenges are in a couple of areas. One, the incentive structure, as we all know, drives doing more and not necessarily um, better driving towards value or better health. So great examples of where that's beginning show us the way and and how that that can be the case. I think the second is that we we don't have a lot of visibility yet or understanding about how to quantify or even qualify the other inputs to health and meaning, you know, what are the life circumstances, the context of people's lives that are driving their, their, um, their health issues. Uh, And then that system, even if we find that maybe there are some social care needs, it's not really modern and ready to to partner. It's not, it's been incredibly underinvested in. So I mean, to to give you um, a couple of examples, if you think about asthma and the fact that very often when we ta- when we want to tackle asthma using a medical model, we think about better drugs, better drug regimens, care management, case managers, um, being able to, to track and monitor people using run charts, all the, the ways that we try to think about their, their clinical experience. But if you step back and, and, and take a task of trying to understand their home context and understand that maybe they have mold exposure or insect part exposure in their house and are able to work with 
the housing system and or the legal system to make change in their home environment, we know that that has great impact on reducing kids' presentations for um, asthma exacerbations, and that means they get to go to school and learn. There's some even bigger work that that people are starting to do, and I, I would just point people to what Louisville, Kentucky's recently published, that they not only looked at this sort of housing environment, but they began to step back and look at things like the, uh, the, the canopy, air quality, um, and other inputs to, to driving asthma exacerbation in their community. And they used uh, a, a digital tool to track when and where people were using their inhalers. And that, was a, that created heat maps that public health and the city government could use to, to change not just the house environment, but the environment around that. And that kind of uh, model is really great. And, and those will only be uh, really exciting projects until to your question about investment, we really start to understand how to make investments that see, see that we're able to move upstream and give everybody quality housing in the first place um, and make sure that we have transparent and public ways of monitoring air quality and, and have a, a resources sufficient to address keeping clean air and having green space for all the reasons that matter to the public health. Uh, we have not really done a good job at solving for that in the U.S., but there are some ways that um, we can either learn from other places or that we're experimenting here to do work like pay for success or social impact bond models where we're saving money on the healthcare side and not just having those gains stay on health, stay in healthcare, but get reinvested in the social services or the public health infrastructure so that, again, they can be better partners to healthcare. We're at the beginning of that journey, Kevin, and what, but we have to really get our best minds around that from the policy and, a, and an economic standpoint to make sure that we're really being as innovative, but also that we're remembering that there's more to health than the healthcare system. And so we have to be investing in housing and food and transportation, just as we are in things like air quality. So let, let's imagine for a moment that you were chief medical officer of a large health plan or, or a large health system, and you controlled a fair amount of resources, but those resources were limited. And as part of those resources, you had to also provide clinical services to those populations. How would you go about trying to think through how much to allocate towards reducing social determinants of health? How would you decide which social determinants to go after? Do you feel like there is solid evidence on how to approach specific areas in a cost-effective way? I think the evidence is, is for interventions is still emerging, and so it's an exciting area of evidence generation. But in that in that case, uh, what I would do is I would go to the data that I have in hand, and I would look for the individuals in my population, whether they're my members of a health plan or of of my my attributed patient population, and do some stratification. Find out who seems to be needing the healthcare system more than others. Who are the high cost, high need patients? Those patients are um, our members are typically also um, have a lot of complex social needs as well. And I would target them by asking questions. I would call them or go into the home as part of my risk assessment um, or as part of my my, my regular intake. And I would, I would ask them using structured tools that are already available out in, in the, the world, whether they're going to bed hungry, if they have uh, stable housing, if they feel safe in their home. We do know that there's some domains where there's some evidence 
that that if we ask a question, there are resources that we can link people to and that that will improve outcomes. I, I think where most people, most organizations are finding that they're able to get some um, some advancement in addressing the social determinants is, for, especially for those high-cost, high-need populations, is in addressing challenges around transportation and food insecurity. Um, that, and sometimes it's, it's, for example, in food insecurity, as simple as, looking at your at the data that you have about that person and knowing that they're already eligible for SNAP but not enrolled. So to get them additional food assistance or get them enrolled with Meals on Wheels or know where there are local resources that might be available to assist them. And so that step one is what's already available that we're just not taking advantage of um, for, the per, for the people in front of us. I would say also, though, I would build additional data. So there's a lot of good data to be had about who's at risk in your population and what resources there are in a community and where there are needs. There's a really exciting array of tools and approaches that are emerging to do some social risk stratification and um, also to help uh, use digital tools to help link people between the health and social services sector. And I, I would be a pretty, frankly, a pretty early adopter of some of those tools because I think solving this for our patients, whether the, this is the cost you're worried about or their health outcomes or their social needs, we're going to have to be able to measure and track it. And that's a part of not just evaluation, but of the evidence generation and, and make sure that that on the individual level, if somebody's referred to Meals on Wheels that they showed up and what was the quality of that, but also um, is it working? Is it, is it low in cost? And um, I, so I would start with a defined population, and I would, but I would be very deliberate and intentional about asking questions using structured questionnaires and beginning to, to build an evidence base within our own organization and, and use the new emerging digital tools um, to, to advance it. I, I, I also um, would hope that I was in a state that was really advanced in the area. So if you take a place like Minnesota, where their Medicaid program is already uh, working on shared risk models around addressing social determinants, they're, they're pretty forward-leaning in, in their understanding that um, the healthcare system needs to not just refer to, but be a part of um, resourcing up the infrastructure to support, to support social need and is really wanting them to be, wanting to, to place an incentive structure so that the healthcare system really understands and acts on it more aggressively.